Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast. In this episode, we have part two of Homicide Shaft by Robert Leslie Bellum. Bellum was best known for his creation of Dan Turner, Hollywood detective, whose exploits explored the seamy underbelly of Tinseltown. Bellum's stories were known for their over-the-top dialogue and supercharged, hard-boiled style that bordered on parody. Whether that was intentional or not is up to the listener to decide, but it certainly gave Bellum's writing its own flavor. Bellum is said to have written 3,000 short stories during his 30-year career. Also has appeared in the culture publication line of Spicy Books, such as Spicy Detective and Spicy Mystery, but he also wrote for several other magazines. Among Bellum's other creations were P.I. Nick Ransom, who appeared in about a dozen stories, including this piece from the April 1949 issue of Thrilling Detective. This story is included in our recent release from Brick Pickle Media, Thrilling Detective Pulp Tales Volume 2, now available in print and ebook format. It features some of the best pulp stories from the pages of Thrilling Detective. It, along with Volume 1, can be ordered from Amazon or any other bookstore. And you can also get a discounted price by ordering direct from our website. And that link is in the show notes. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2020. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. And if you'd like to support our efforts, you can find a link to all of our books in our entire online store on the website. And with that, on with the show. Chapter 4, Snoop on the Lamb. I loosened my hold on Hal Brookman, barreled wildly across his head and hunkered down by the slain juice's remnants, and went through the formality of feeling his pulse. It was absent, just as I expected, and his wrist was cool, indicating he had been deceased for quite a while. There was a short length of fine black nylon thread clutched in his stiffening grasp, but at the moment I didn't savvy its significance. I was more interested in the fact that he'd been croaked by an arrow. So now it gives murder, I yodeled, and peered at the shaft that stuck out of him. Its spiral wrapped feathers were bent and bedraggled at notch end, and an idea began to percolate into my think tank. I straightened up, pivoted to face the Brookman bozo. Well, that's one way to stop paying hush money, eh, pal? Scowling, he drifted toward me. Maybe I don't understand the meaning of that remark. And then again, maybe you do. I'm referring to your Las Vegas episode of Molly Shannon. Color flooded his Greek coin countenance, then went away in a sudden ebb. White-lipped, he drew in a breath that pinched his patrician nostrils with the narrowness of a knife and slitted his glimmers at me. So she told you about that? Yeah. And now you're accusing me of... Nobody's accusing anybody yet. Of course, the shoe fits wear it. I don't mind. But I do, he said tautly through his teeth. I mind it very much indeed. Then he stooped like a shortstop feeling a red-hot grounder, snatched up a hammer at some dopey carpenter left in the stage, and hurled it straight at my noggin. He flew from a crouch as gracefully as DiMaggio pagging a runner out at third, and he did it so swiftly I didn't have a chance to duck. The missile clipped me on the side of the conch and knocked me to my knees, dizzy as a drunk on a roller coaster. Then Brookman launched himself forward, deliberately measured me, and hung a roaring haymaker on my prow. Unconsciousness gulped me like a raw oyster. When I swam back to my senses, I had a knot on my scalp the dimensions of a hockey puck, and a jaw that throbbed like a compound fracture where I had been festooned with a fistful of knuckles. I was stretched out flat on the soundstage, and I was surrounded by people, mainly cops. Uniformed and in plain clothes, they were all over the set like an infestation of termites, and as soon as I got my billiard peepers open, I saw my friend Ole Brenvig of the Homicide Squad. Apparently, Ole had been summoned to the scene during my temporary sojourn in Slumberland, and he brought along a full complement of his headquarters minions. 
Surly and sullenly resembling a dyspeptic horse with stomach ulcers, he was now directly directing the removal of Grenzinger's remainders. Watching as a pair of white-jacketed morgue orderlies deposited the murdered gaffer in a wicker basket. At the same time, he was engaged in sour conversation with three assorted characters. The handsome Brookman, the red-haired Molly Shannon, and the lanky, slab-sided Paragon producer Benny Thornton. Although as yet I was unable to stir a muscle, I could hear everything being said and I didn't like what I listened to. Well, yes, Thornton was saying in a reluctant tone. Ransom did make threats against Grenzinger on account of that silk falling off the catwalk like we've been telling you. But I scarcely call them murder threats. Just promises of physical violence, eh? Oli grunted. Physical violence indeed, the Brookman Bozo's sarcastic voice chimed in. What is more physically violent than killing? It seems perfectly patent to me that Ransom is the murderer. No, he couldn't be. That was Molly Shannon defending me. I know, Nick. Know the sort of person he is. He'd use his fists, yes. He wouldn't shoot a man in the back, though. I'll go along with that, Thornton said. Ransom a tough man in a fight, but never cast in the role of an assassin. Aren't you forgetting something? Brookman purred venomously. Aren't you overlooking the point that this Ransom fellow is the only man on the lot strong enough to use a 75-pound bow with a 30-inch hunting arrow? Such a crack was exactly the tonic I needed to tilt me out of my torpor, bring me surging drunkenly upright. Include yourself in that class, mister. You're as hefty as I am, heftier. You pack plenty of punching power, judging from the way you crown me with a hammer and then cold cock me. I had to, don't you know? For an unpleasant moment, you look as you might be going to attack me. Naturally, I took steps to safeguard my welfare. Then I phoned the police, notified them of the murder, and informed them I had captured a prime suspect. Meaning you, of course. Oh, of course. I gave him back his leer with 6% interest. Thereby making me a fall guy and diverting suspicion from your own coattails. Void of that. Let's consider what I said concerning your beef, your brawn, and your potential ability to handle a bow with a 75-pound pole. His kisser got ugly. So I'm strong. That proves what? It may prove nothing, but a hint you might have killed Grenzinger. You're being absurd, my dear man. Am I? Even when I mention your possible motive? Then I turned to Ole Brunvig. The defunct gaffer was blackmailing this lug. Brunvig stiffened. What? I dare anybody to make that stand up in court. Furthermore, I have a leak-proof alibi. I was dictating scenario to my secretary all afternoon, up to the time I visited Miss Shannon's dressing bungalow and encountered this insufferable ransom cad. He then forced me to accompany him here to the banquet hall set, where we discovered the body. That disposes of any accusations made against me. He sniffed a delicate sniff of triumph. Brunvig glared at me. Well, Sherlock, what have you got to say to that? Shucks, I was only kidding. I realized from the beginning that Brookman couldn't have croaked Granger with the bow and arrow. For the simple reason the gaffer wasn't croaked by a bow and arrow. Brunvig nodded, then in a Keystone comedy double take. He leaped three feet in the air and clapped a hand to his brow. He wasn't croaked by a bow and arrow. What kind of pastrami did you try to slice me? Nell's bells and buckwheat cakes. Didn't I see the arrow sticking out of my own two eyes? Didn't I watch the metal examiner yank it from the wound? The murder was committed with an arrow, I said. It was not committed with a bow and arrow. Of all the... Did you notice the feathers? I waved in quiet. He looked at me slant-wise. Feathers? What about feathers? Broadhead hunting arrows fletched in a characteristic way. The feathers at notch end are placed in what you might call an elongated spiral instead of being straight at the line of the shaft, the line of flight. That's done for the same reason a gun barrel spirally groove, to impart a twist to the bullet as it blams to its target. This twist keeps the slug from veering off course, makes for greater accuracy, better markmanship. 
Same way with a spiral-fletched arrow. The twist of the feathers causes the arrow to revolve slightly on its course, to go straight with no deflections. End of archery lecture, he demanded heavily. End of archery lecture and beginning of lesson detective technique. The feathers in that death arrow were bent down, crushed, deformed. So what? So if anybody shot that arrow from a bow, it would have gone in six different directions at once. You couldn't possibly have scorched the perfect bullseye in Grinzinger's back. Therefore, the arrow wasn't shot from a bow. Oh. It was fired from cannon, huh? Use your head. The crushed feathers indicate the killer held the arrow in his hands, like a spear. He didn't shoot at the gaffer. He jabbed it at him, thrust it into him, stabbed him. Shoots a kill wasn't necessarily committed by a hefty person. A lightweight midget could summon enough strength to spear a guy. Even a woman could do it. A dame as dainty as Molly Shannon, for instance. The red-haired quail gasped audibly, blinked at me. Nick, you aren't suggesting... Sure I am. Grinzer was blackmailing you. You've admitted that. You could have bumped him while I was in your dressing bungalow, while I was waiting for you in the front room. Your shower was running, but that doesn't prove you were taking a bath. Maybe you turned the water on to give yourself an alibi. Maybe you slipped outdoors in the dusk, skulked over here to the soundstage, speared the gaffer, and sneaked back again to your shower without being tabbed. Tears as big as cough drops splashed out of her Kalani blue optics, skidded down her cheeks and left streaks of mascara. She exchanged her emerald kimono for a two-piece ensemble of smoke-gray shark skin with a bright red handkerchief in the breast pocket for color contrast. And now she pulled the coat more snugly around her as if taking a sudden chill. So that's what you think of me. You think I'm a murderess. That's what I get for trusting you, for talking to you, telling my secrets. Never confide in a detective, and never try to frame one, I added. Hal Brooklyn regarded me as if I'd been something he found in the plumbing. You low heel, trying to hide behind a girl's skirts. It's about the lowest thing I've ever encountered. Then he drifted to the Shannon cookie, took her hand. Guilty or innocent, Molly, I'll stand by you. Not that I think you're guilty. I'm more certain than ever that Ransom is the murderer. I'm not, Benny Thornton snapped. Considering what Grenzer had on you and Molly, I wouldn't be at all surprised if you both had a hand in killing him. Brunvig, who had been quietly listening to all this, now swelled up with typically pompous police authority. I've had enough of your condemned bickering. I'm arresting Brookman and Miss Shannon on suspicion. As for you, gumshoe, you're taking a ride downtown, too. Me? What for? I'll think of a charge. Material witness, maybe. Or accessory foreign after the crime. Give me trouble and I'll call it resisting arrest, obstruction of justice, and vagrancy. I'm just a cockeyed minute. Here I've been knocking myself out to help you. I need your help like I need leprosy. All you've done is muck around, following up an otherwise open and shut case, pointing the finger at practically everybody in sight so you won't be suspected yourself. I'm fed up. This was characteristic of Brunvig. I've chummed with him for years, solved scores of his mysteries for him, and invariably shows his gratitude by threatening to throw me in a cell, have my license rescinded. Ordinarily, you might put it down to envy, but I'm inclined to think it's his chronic indigestion, which gives him the disposition of a misanthropic mule. As a rule, I make allowances for this, but sometimes it's hard to hold my temper in check. Right now, I was trying to not to blow my wig. Before you take me in check, there's an angle I wish you'd let me look at. A nylon thread clue. Did you hear me saying I want none of your meddling? Oli demanded. Then he reached toward his hip pocket. Looks like you won't be satisfied till I hang handcuffs on you. He unlimbered a pair of bracelets. Hold out your wrists. This was going just too confounded far. In a pig's valise, you'll nipper me, I said, and darted to his left. He lunged in that direction and reversed myself like a broken field runner in the Rose Bowl, blipped around to his right and got away from him before he could put on his brakes. Two harness coppers leaped into motion, tried to converge on me as I sprinted for the exit. 
Unfortunately for them, they both chose the same angle and collided like a pair of brewery trucks, sideswiped each other, and bounced apart reeling. One of them fell down, loudly announcing he had been stabbed. I kept turning toward freedom, at which instant Brunvig got oriented and came thundering in pursuit. He called on all and sundry to halt me, even they had to break my legs in the process. The door was dead ahead of me now, and I risked a backward glance over my shoulder, saw Benny Thornton deliberately rush across Oli's path. The maneuver looked clumsy, but I realized it was intentional. The producer-director was imperiling his own slab-sided form in an effort to give me a chance to lamb. It was nice interference, and I appreciated it, but it didn't take time to say so. I gained the soundstage portal, catapulted outdoors, and took a powder in the darkness of the night, made like jet propulsion. No private snoop ever scrammed in a bigger hurry. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Chapter 5. String to a Killer Hunting for Paragon's electric department was a tough task. In the first place, they didn't know where it was located on the lot. In the second place, I had to keep in the blackest shadows in my search. Otherwise, Oli and his headquarters satellites might pinpoint me, corner me, and nab me. I could hear them behind me, fanning out to fine comb the studio precincts. Now and then I saw a flicker of a flashlight beam probing at possible hiding places. I kept moving, zigzagging from one building to another. Presently, luck roosted on my shoulder and I found what I wanted. When I tried the door, though, it was locked, and the windows of the shed-like one-story structure were all closed, bolted from inside. That was bad for me. At any other time, I'd have had a ring of master keys with me. I also would have packed a pencil flash and a Roscoe. But today, I temporarily abandoned the snooping profession and reverted to the stunting racket. Consequently, I was unarmed, unequipped for detective work, and the minutes were running out. It wouldn't be long until Brunvig and his minions picked up my trail and closed in on me. I considered smashing one of the window panes and rejected the notion. Too much noise. It would bring the bulls down on my neck. Yet I had to get into that electric shot pronto. But how? A hunch hit me. Around back, there was a raised loading dock where the studio tracks could take on or disgorge heavy apparatus. I hauled myself up onto the platform, felt around until I discovered the big corrugated metal door. This was slung on an overhead truck by means of flaying wheels and fastened by an ordinary Hasman padlock. I tested the padlock. No dice. Then I worked the hasp and found a little plane. in it. The screw just held it to the wooden door frame. Seemed loose, insecure. Dry rot in the woodwork, probably, and I gave silent thanks for a California climate that plays hob of structural lumber. Unfastening my belt, I whisked it off, used the curved steel prong of the buckle to gorge a furrow in the wood and behind the padlock hasp. When the furrow was wide enough and deep enough, I inserted the belt proper, threading it downward back on the metal plate until I could draw it all the way through. Then making a loop of the leather, I braced myself against the building and began to pull. For a moment, nothing happened. Then there was a sudden weird whine, a suppressed shriek of screw threads tearing out of rot-soft pine, and I yanked the hasp plate out like a dentist extracting four teeth with one pull of the forceps. Now the hasp dangled against his keeper, and the padlock wasn't worth a pinch of fertilizer. I shoved the door, and it slid smoothly open on its overhead trolley. I blipped inside. The joint was darker than the interior of an eight ball, and I fumbled in my pocket for matches, and then before I could strike one, I heard a noise. Somebody was using a key on the electric shop's front portal. Somebody was sneaking in. I crouched. Door hinges creaked and footfalls sounded. Cautious, stealthy. A switch clicked and an unshaded bulb glowed alive in the ceiling. Somebody prowled around a portable generator, skirted a welter of coil cables and lamp standers, approached a rectangular metal frame containing a screen of tattered silk. The frame was misshapen, bent on a square, and a hand pawed at all four sides of the gadget as seeking something. I strode up behind the hand's owner and said, 
Looking for a fragment of Black Nylon String Buster? Benny Thornton gasped like a hooked fish, straightened up to his full skinny height and started to turn around. His sandy hair seemed to rise on end like a fright wig and made inarticulate gurgles in his gullet, such as perhaps no other cinema producer-director has ever made before or since. Better freeze, I said, and poked him in the back with an extended forefinger. That's a gun you feel against your vertebrae. Make a wrong move and it goes bang, rendering you as dead as the Grangzer gaffer you murdered, as dead as you hoped Molly Shannon would be. What? 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 How? The jig's up, Thornton. Even after you killed him, it was Grangzer who stooled on you. I found a length of black nylon thread in his grass when I first inspected his body, and later I got hep to what it meant. In the shadows behind a brightly lit set, a length of black string is practically invisible. They use it in movie productions frequently to make a prop fall or jump without anyone touching it. See what I mean? Now listen, Ransom. You listen. Suppose somebody had a grudge against the Shannon Quail, wanted her bumped off. Suppose that person tied black nylon thread to a light diffusion silk on an over catwalk and yanked the gadget down just as when a stuntman was firing an arrow at the dame. Suppose the same party yelled, Look out, Ransom! Hoping the arrow's aim would go haywire and Molly would be skewered. Now wait, you can't. The way I construct this clam bake, I said, you're the rat who set up the nylon string contrivance. Tug the diffusion silk off the high catwalk. You were the only creep on the set who was in the right position to pull the thread. Your scheme missed fire, though, and the whole plot might have simmered down except for an electrician with blackmailing tendencies. Greninger. I think Greninger must have been hiding somewhere on the Paragon lot all the time. Everybody thought he was lambing. Think he must have gone back to stage six if you clear the banquet hall set. Maybe he's just doing his job, taking the damaged silk screen away to be repaired. Maybe he brought it here to the electric shop for a different reason, to study it, see what made it fall off the catwalk. Ransom, let me say... Quiet, I rasped, stopping her into my train of thought. Now where was I? Oh, yes. Granger found a length of black string on the screen and realized you were the guy who'd rigged it and pulled it. So he returned again to the set, thinking he would show up to remove that thread and destroy the evidence against you. I imagine he confronted you when you walked on stage, and knowing he was a blackmailer of a hunch he accused you of trying to get Molly Shannon croaked. Then he demanded hush money from you, huh? He threatened to expose you unless you made a payoff. Thornton's skinny back quivered. Even though he was facing away from me, I could hear the hissing sound of his labored breathing. He didn't try to turn around, however. He was too scared. So what did you do? He grabbed an arrow, stabbed him between the shoulder blades, and left his corpse on the set, forgetting to take the black nylon thread out of his hand. That was your worst blunder, but not your only one. Well, what do you mean? A while ago, an accusation was flying thick and fast for Lieutenant Brunvig's benefit, you pretended to defend me against homicide charges. You looked Brookman in the eye and said, Considering what Grenzer had on you and Molly, I wouldn't be surprised if you both had a hand in killing him. Meaning that you knew Grenzer was an extortionist, also meaning that you knew about Molly's trip to Las Vegas with Brookman. In brief, bub, you knew too much. This plus the fact you've been the only guy in a position to pull the silk from the catwalk told me all I needed. Told me you were capable of murder and you hankered to bump Molly Shannon. That's why I tried to have her pinched. I knew you might make another attempt on her life, and the safest place for her was the Bastille. You clever snake. Thanks a whole. So then I dropped a hint that I wanted to trace a nylon thread clue. That was my way of putting you in a panic, making you show your hand. I was re reasonably sure you'd come hunting that light diffusion frame to make sure there was no thread left on it. By helping me escape, you figured the cops would be so busy looking for me you would have time to come here to the electric shop. Which you did, and thereby convicted yourself. Ransom, listen to me. Let me explain something. I was crazy in love with Molly Shannon, and she refused me. She turned me down cold, and she went to Vegas with that Brookman rat. Is it any wonder I went out of my head of jealousy and tried to kill her? As for Grenzer, I gave him just what he deserved. He was a crooked, thieving, shakedown artist. Look, Ransom, can't we make a deal? He turned around us to offer me a bribe. And then he saw my extended finger. No gun. Suddenly his glims glittered like a maniac's. Bluffing, were you? He dug for his coat pocket, came up with a 38 automatic. It'll be your last bluff.
Frantically, I tried to swing on him, bat the gad aside, became the erupt kachow of a heavy caliber Roscoe sneezing his lethal pill, and I thought I was a goner. I was wrong. Thornton was the goner. He sagged, swayed, dropped his heater, and sobbed like a spang child. Then he fell down with a bullet in his tripes. Old Brunvig stepped into view, holding a smoking service revolver and looking smug. I heard it all, Sherlock. You can now thank me for saving you from a premature grave. Every time I threaten to arrest you, you manage to clear yourself by turning up the guilty guy for me. That's why I do it. Keeps you on your toes. Good grief, man. I was behind you every step of the way. Well, that's another crime buttoned up for the files. He added, leaning over the morning Thornton. Hmm, I think he'll live to go to the gas chamber. Yeah, I rage, and you can go to... Naughty, naughty, remember the censors. Now go round up my tech squad for me. Then you have permission to blow. What can you do with a cop like that? Nothing. There's no justice for a private dick. I didn't even collect a fee for Molly because she's too busy falling in love again with Hal Brookman. All I got out of the hassle was an invitation to their wedding. This time they really went through with it. Oh, well, I didn't want to be a bridegroom anyhow. I'm satisfied to be the best man. And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder, if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production. We'll be back with a new episode next week.